Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is, is Luke. I get to be one of the pastors on staff if I haven't met you yet. Um, yeah, welcome. And, uh, you know, for some of you, maybe you don't recognize me. I just want to make sure that, you know, I am Luke. I have a really nice mustache now, but still the same humble guy I've always been, even though, you know, I look like Tom Selleck. But uh, it's okay. <laughs> totally kidding. Um, this morning, you're like, what are you, t-? yeah, anyway, what, let's bring them back together. This morning, we're going to continue to talk about what does it mean for us to be a church on mission? What does that, what does that look like? As we've been kind of talking about this over the past few weeks, we've been, we've been thinking about it kind of in these, in these different, uh, different sections or segments. And we're talking about, as a church, we're, we're we have this, we call it a discipleship Pipeline, and, and, and it's, you know, as Craig talked last week, this is kind of like T-ball baseball, where it's not like, you know, as we talk about, there, there are these different places where we're, we're, we're working to be a church on mission, where we, we gather and connect and serve and bless, and we don't have to, you don't have to, to connect in order to serve, it's not like that, you can go to third, and then to first, and then to second, you know, but, but this is, this is what it's going to look like for us to be a church on mission, this is how we're, this is how we're talking about it, these are the terms that we're looking at, and, and over the, uh, past two weeks, we looked at, well, what does it mean for us to gather, to be a church on mission and, and, and gather? And this week, what we're going to be looking at is what does it mean for us to connect? Okay, what does, it, what does it mean for us to be a church that is on mission? And by being on mission, one of the ways that we're on mission is we're connecting with one another. And, and the reason we're talking about this is because this idea of connection, it's, it's a little bit difficult in our cultural setting where, where we're at. Um, when, when my wife and I, we got married, uh, the, we had one year left of Bible college and it was, you know, it was like, man, we were super young, but Bible college, you know, they talk about it's kind of Bible colleges are kind of like shoe factory. Um, they fix your soul and send you out in pairs. Um, and that's kind of, it's kind of where we were at. And, and a lot of our friends, a lot of our friends had, had gotten married around the same time or before us or a little bit after us. And it was so cool. It was so much fun to be married in that setting because we were in married student housing. And so we were still like pranking each other. We're still like, even though we're married, we're still getting to, to just be in tight community. And it was so much fun and we loved it. And then we graduated and moved to Kirksville. Um, and, and I started a youth pastor and my, my wife got a job as a community support worker and, and, uh, and then I was working with my uncle doing construction carpentry full time and, uh, and, and I remember just going from this like fully connected, lots of fun, awesome environment where we're all pouring into each other and getting poured in all this stuff to our connections, our community was basically like my parents and our youth group. And it felt like we went from like this like rich environment where we're able to grow to like, I can't even breathe here. Like this is, this is so hard. And I remember telling my dad at one point, we were on, a, on the job site. We were working on my sister's house. We are on the job site. I don't remember how it came up, but I basically shared like, this is really hard. Like I am, I'm very lonely, feeling very lonely. And my dad, like love him. Full, you know, Midwestern, you know, farmer, whole mentality. He just starts laughing. And I'm, I'm saying, I mean, can you imagine? I'm saying, yeah, I'm just lonely. He's, <laughs> welcome to the real world. It's like, oh, wow. Okay. 
what's, what's the message there? What's the message? The message, I believe, and maybe I'll have to ask him. Maybe I'll call him today and say, hey, Dad, do you remember when this happened? What were you trying to communicate? I don't know. The message I received was, yeah, get used to it. We're all lonely. So pull up your big boy pants and get on with life. Right? That, that's kinda, that was kind of the message. And even, you know, you think about it, it's like, well, he shouldn't have done that. But that's, that's, that's kind of the water we swim in. We are the most, and I, I, I got to be careful. I don't want to say most and least because it's not a contest and somebody will say, well, actually, in the mid-1800s, that, I, I'm, you know, we're not saying that. But we are, let's say, very, I'm just going to say most because I'm going to say it anyway. We are the most connected uh, culture group of people that has ever lived on the face of the earth. That's a big statement, but I think it's kind of true. Like, I don't mean to brag, but uh, you know, I, I looked it up last night, and I have over 1,600 friends on Facebook. <laughs> I mean, I, I, don't, I don't mean to brag. If you have less, that's okay. <laughs> but you see, the reality is like, we, we've almost changed the definition of what friend even is. Right, because we are the most connected. We can see, like, I, I, haven't, I haven't talked to some of these friends on Facebook since high school. I graduated high school, like, 25, 1998. Like, that's, I'm old, right? I, you know, it's, I, that was a long time ago. I haven't talked to some of these people since high school. And yet, every now and then, you know, I can see what they ate for supper. It's like, oh, that's good, I guess. We're so connected. You see, we're so connected, and at the same time, we are so disconnected, aren't we? Again, all these high school friends, you know, the the reality is I have 1,600 friends on on Facebook, but when you think about, like, who am I going to call in a crisis? It's not going to be my friend from elementary that I haven't talked to in 30 years. Like who, you know, and, and, and we were so connected and yet we, we go through crises and we go through different things in our world that's really hard. And oftentimes we have nobody, even though we have 1,600 friends, we have nobody that we can call up and say, hey, I am struggling. And so what we do is we just turn inward more and more and more and we scroll and we binge and we, we drink and we drug and we do all these different things and we work harder and we, you know, just whatever it is and we laugh, <laughs> everybody's that way. So pull up your big girl panties and let's go. That's kind of the mindset. But the reality is, is that when we look at the pages of Scripture, in the very beginning, as God is creating everything, he's saying, oh, that's good, and that's good, and that's good. What's the first thing that he says is not good? Being alone. Adam's alone. He's like, this is not good. Right? If that's what scripture says, then we cannot just be like, well, everybody's alone. Whatever. See, because I think that mentality, when we're like, oh, everybody's alone, just pull them up. You see, I think that leads to the fact that, that loneliness is an epidemic in our culture, in our society. I, I actually, uh, I saw this meme on Instagram just last night, which is really funny and providential. And it said, you know, everybody talks about Jesus' miracles, but nobody talks about his miracle of having 12 close friends in his mid-30s. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. Right? See, we, we have an epidemic of loneliness, which leads to, I mean, it's, you know, we're isolated and we're depressed. I, I was reading a book recently that talked about how this, the, like the, the, 
current generation that's growing up is one of the safest generations that has ever been. Like the vehicular homicide and, and violent crime and uh, you know, sexual transmitted disease, all these things are down. Like it's a very safe generation. And yet, when it comes to like mental health, when it comes to self-harm, suicidal ideation, all those things are really high. And I think the reason is, is because so many of us have just swallowed the lie that says, well, this is the way it is. I'm disconnected. I'm lonely. I'm isolated. Everybody is. And yet, what we see in the pages of Scripture is an invitation to something different, right? It reminds me of the, the, my, one of my favorite lines from Braveheart, which is a classic mid-90s war movie, maybe early 90s. Uh, and and it, it talks about how there's, there's this one guy, his name is Robert the Bruce. And Robert the Bruce is talking to his dad about, about how he failed William Wallace, who was the big hero. And, and, and Robert the Bruce, he, he, he chose to, to kind of um, do a, he, He's like, I betrayed, I betrayed William Wallace. I betrayed him on the battlefield. And I saw, I saw his heart break. I saw, I took it from him. You know, and, and he says, I betrayed him. And his father, who's this kind of manipulative, behind the scenes kind of guy who does all these different things. And he's like just this bad guy he 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 responds he says all men betray all lose heart anybody remember the line and and robert the bruce says his dad is all men betray all lose heart he says i don't want to betray i want to believe and i love that line because it's like i feel this like oh we're lonely and we're disconnected and yet i see the pages of scripture and i feel this desire for something else and it's like I don't want to pull up my big boy pants and just be isolated and be fine I think there's something more I think there's something different and yet the reality is we, we, we come at this and we're like well but I mean what I've been in church for a long time I've been in connection groups I don't think I've ever experienced something other than what I've experienced and the, and the question is I think in that well maybe we're trying to grow something in soil that's not conducive for growing connection could that be it you know if if we want to be people who are connected if we want to be people who experience vulnerability instead of posing and posturing looking like we have it all together if we want to be people who experience curiosity instead of judgment if we want to be people who who experience patience instead of irritation I think we have to look at the soil that we've been trying to grow in and say okay is something missing and there's this book I was reading uh, called The Other Half of Church, and it talks about four different soils that we have to have, four different nutrients in this soil if we're going to be a church that's connected, which I believe we can't be a church on mission unless we're a church that's connected. Okay, the, the first soil, I'm not going to give them all to you up front. You got to stay with me, okay? Soil, we don't have anywhere to go today. I got you because we're eating after this. So you have nowhere to go, all right? Soil number one. Soil number one, if we're going to have connection and mission, then we have to have joy. We have to have joy. Uh, I was uh, reading this, this guy named Dr. Shore. He's a psychiatrist and a biobehavioral scientist at UCLA, which I don't, I've never even heard that term before. But, I, you know, he's like a very smart person. He says that he defines joy like this. It's what I feel when I see the sparkle in someone's eye that conveys, I'm happy to be with you. 
It, let, me, let me say that again, because many are like, what in the world? That seems touchy-feely. Right, let, me, let me say it. A very smart person. Joy defined by this. What I feel when I see the sparkle in someone's eye that conveys, I'm happy to be with you. You see, it's the same, it's the same idea. It's the same idea like when I go to a, a party or a gathering and I don't really know many people. So, so I'm looking around and I'm like, okay, who do I know here? Oh, I know Mark. Oh, hey, Mark. Like, and I, I look for his face. And I look for that recognition and I look for him to be like, oh yeah, Luke, we're here and let's get the, you know, and now we're together and there's joy in that connection. You see, joy is the, it's the, the gas tank for our growth. Joy is a thing that we need as human beings to, to grow physically, emotionally, uh, psychologically. I mean, it's a thing that we do with babies. We grow joy in babies when, when we hold them close to us and we're like, <laughs> You know, it's like a crazy, insane person, right? But our, we're smiling, our eyes are lit up. What we're communicating to our child is, you belong. There's joy. I love you. I'm with you. We're together. You belong to me and I belong to you. And, and I love it when we see in the pages of scripture what scientists, what bio, whatever scientists say. I love it when we see this in scripture because we see this out throughout scripture. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, again, Genesis, creation, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the what? Face of Christ. The idea, the God who says, let there be light, let light shine in you through the face of Christ. Christ looking at us in the same way that we look at our children and lighting up and, and saying, ah, oh, I love you. I see you. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament too in Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. Uh, it says, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. You guys have heard this before, right? Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. You see, blessing, this joy comes when we understand that the face of our father lights up when he sees us. Isn't that beautiful? Like, when we think about that, like, even thinking about a bodily response, we, we're, not just, we're not just brains on sticks. Think about when we think about the, someone's face lighting up, if we allow ourselves, that gives us a bodily response. Oh, I feel lighter in my chest. Like, I know I'm, I'm belong. Like, I, I know that you love me. And, and, and we see that throughout. It's, it's interesting because when we think about, like, places like Psalm 1611, it says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasure at your right hand. That word presence, that word in, in Hebrew actually is the word, um, it, it means, it's panim. And it literally means, what do you think? Face. Could you not hear me? It literally means face. I didn't set you up for success very well. That's all right. It literally means face. See, there's a difference. I, I don't know about you, but I think culturally in our, in our understanding, there's a difference when we read uh, presence and a difference when we read face. 
right? Presence can mean a lot of different things depending on your past history, experiences, depending on how you deal with shame, depending on your relationships, right? I, I, I can remember as a kid, my mom saying, you just wait till your dad gets home. What's that mean, right? And then, and then it's like, your dad's about home. Ooh. You know, it's like, you know, am I thinking, oh, joy, Oh, oh, blessings, right? Am I thinking that in that message? No. I'm not saying my mom was bad for saying that or anything else. But what I'm saying is because of my experience, because of the fact that I just did something that deserves correction, my dad coming home is not going to be a thing that brings joy to my soul in that moment. Right? But when we read, so, so presence can mean a lot of different things. But when we read face, Joy in your face, that when the face of God turns towards us, that means something different than God is just around. It means he's looking at you. He sees you. There is gratitude mixed up in that. I, I, remember, uh, uh, I, I remember some youth kids talking about how they were at this camp one time. And this, this evangelist was saying, where's the place? Where's the place where you hope God isn't? You know, and I, we had this, I think this was at camp, and there was this one kid, you know that kid that always says things, and it's like, dude, stop, right? And, and he, he says, in the bathroom, and, and the, the evan, you know, he's like, I, don't, I hope God isn't in the bathroom. And the evangelist, he didn't, he wasn't deterred at all. He says, well, be warned, boys and girls, even in the bathroom, God sees you. <laughs> Boy, that's a joyful thought, isn't it? I mean, what's he communicating? Yeah, God is present everywhere. But see, oftentimes we forget that that presence brings joy. You see, the, the reality is, is that the reason joy has to be uh, an ingredient in this soil for us to grow connection is because joy, again, is the gas tank for connection. It's, it's the thing that spurs connection on. It's the thing that brings us closer. We, we lean in. I mean, how many of us when, like, okay, if, if you're thinking about trying to stay around, whether or not you should stay around for the Connect Picnic, the answer is yes, okay? But if you're trying to, st- you're thinking, okay, well, who's going to be there? I mean, okay, are, are they going to be happy that I'm there? If we believe that they're not going to be happy that we're there, are we going to stick around? Let, let me, are we going to stick around? Right, that's an actual question. No, you're not going to stick around. Let me just let you know. We are happy that you're going to be there. So you stick around. There we go. Praise God. Right? But, but see, that's the thing. Joy is a gas tank for connection. It's the thing that lets us know, like, oh, I'm, I'm welcome. And so if we do not have joy, if we don't see that in other, in other people, if we, don't, if we don't see, if we don't experience that, we're not going to connect. See, the second soil that we have, that, that we need, if we're going to, to experience connection, is belonging. And I, I love it because joy go, leads to belonging. I mean, this, this idea of belonging, it's, I, I love it because, again, it's, it's also, like, we can think of it in terms of, like, love, like being loved. But, but the reason I think belonging is a, is a more uh, descriptive way for us to think about it is because love is kind of a junk word in our English language. Right? I mean, I can say that I love my wife, and I can say that I loved getting to go to a demolition derby last night, which I did, and I do, right? 
Like, I love getting to watch cars crash into each other. That was so much fun. And, and I love my wife, and I, I love my kids, and I love chili. Right? There, there's, this, there's this weird, like, the word love just doesn't communicate a whole lot in our English language. And yet the reality is when we, when we look at, like, the, the Hebrew language, like, they had words like uh, eros and uh, phileo. There's all these different ways to interpret love. And yet when we read about God introducing himself to his people in Exodus 34, 6, we read this. The Lord... And this is God speaking of himself. He's proclaiming who he is, his identity. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That word steadfast love, it literally is hesed. It's this, it's this idea of a love that is faithful, a covenant love that says, I love you no matter what you do. I am faithful to you even when you are unfaithful to me. I love you. The, the uh, Jesus Storybook Bible, which is an incredible resource. Parents, if you, if you haven't checked that out yet, there, we have some. Um, it's, it's an awesome resource and it talks about this idea of hesed by saying it's a never giving up, never ending kind of love. Like th- this idea that we are people who have, who have been loved in this way and yet oftentimes we, it's like we, we miss it. Uh, and I, let's, well, I, I'm skipping ahead because uh, when we think about, uh, when we think about the, the reality of what this love means, even when we look into the, the New Testament, uh, the word agape is kind of the same kind of word, but it still kind of mess- misses it. And, and so in 1 Corinthians 13, which is known as the love chapter, we see Paul kind of trying to bring this idea of hesed into the term agape. What, what, is, what does Paul say about love? What are some of the things he says about love? Bears love bears all things. It's patient. Kind. Never ends. What? Forgiving. I mean, there's, there's all these different things that, that Paul says, this is love. And yet, even as he sa- uses this word agape, he's like, I've got to define this because it's more than just, I love my kids and I love chili. Right? He, he's saying, no, this love that we have from God is a love that will not end. It's a love that does not give up. It is a love that does not keep a record of wrongs. It's a love that says, again, even when you are unfaithful to me, I am faithful to you. That's the love that we have from God. And yet the, the question then is, how does this translate to connection then? And, and I think we see that in 1 John 4, 19 through 21. And, and I, I love it because, again, John is one of the disciples. He's experienced this love from Jesus and from God. And, and he says, and starting in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Strong language. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You see, what we see in this is when we understand the love by which we have been loved, this this accepting, this, this belonging type of love, it's the same love by which then we pour out to those around us. You see that? It's the same love that we've been loved with. 
Then, then we pour out, and yet the, the reality is oftentimes it's like, well, what, is that, what does that mean? How do, how do we love in that way? Because some people are mean. Yeah, some people are mean. I mean, what, what, is that, what does that mean for us to, to love in this way? I think sometimes we, we struggle with it because if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, at times we have this kind of performance mentality when it comes to, to even our faith. Even our relationship with God, we have this performance mentality that when we, when we experience love in that way, that's the type of love with which we love others. Right? We, we have this idea, oftentimes, unfortunately, we have this idea that says, you know, I feel really loved by God when, when I have a week where, man, every morning I have my quiet time. Whew, God is pleased with me. I am killing it, right? I have a week when, when I go for a long time without gossiping. Whew. I just love my neighbors. That's so good. I go for a week when, when I treat my kids with, with dignity and respect and love them. Oof. But the problem is that goes the other way too. I haven't had my quiet time in a long time. It's, you know, it's, it's uh, what month is this? Almost September? Whew. It's almost September, and my Bible reading plan that I started in January is way off track. Uh, I, I totally blew my lid when, when that person cut me off the other day. I am, God is not pleased with me. See, we, we have this mentality. So then, so then if we're like, all right, I'm doing good, I'm doing all right. So then when it comes to other people around us, like we have, like, okay, again, our kids, uh, classmates, uh, professors, we have people that we work with, neighbors. You know, we have these other people in our lives, and so you know, maybe maybe they do things. It's like, okay, yeah, I'll, oh man, they, they were they were gracious to me. I'll you know love them. You know that that professor, he he showed me grace when when my assignment was late. Oh man, that's yeah, I'll talk good about him. My kids have been you know they're just great. I just love my kids, and they're just you know home on time and all these different you know. And then it's like some weeks, my kids. I mean, not my kids, but your kids. You know, with you, <laughs> right? So it's like yeah, or or like. You know, again, the, the people that cut us off, you know, oh, they don't deserve. See, the, we, we get in this mindset where it's like, I have been loved according to my ability to perform. And so therefore, what I show to others is as long as you perform around me, as long as you believe what I believe, as long as we can be in this thing together, as long as you're, you're, you're okay with me and I'm okay with you, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll show love to you. But man, you say something bad against me? Mm-mm. See, this is a performance mindset, right? And yet, what we see in Scripture, the fact that we have been loved with a love that is never-ending, never-giving-up covenant love, that God says, I loved you when you were an enemy. That says, I loved you when, when, you, were, when you were running the other direction. I showed love to you. See, that, that means even when, even when I don't... Even, even when I say something hurtful to my wife. Even when, even when I don't, ah, I had an opportunity to share Jesus with that person. Oh, I had, you know, like, I haven't, man, my Bible reading plan's been off. I really messed up this week. I didn't mess up this week. Man, I'm, I'm just, 
I'm, I'm reading my Bible every day. That's so awesome. Oh, I haven't read my Bible in a month. See, when we can understand that we live under the waterfall of God's hesed love, the waterfall of God's belonging, what happens to the people around us? Can, can you see those cups down there? Kind of hard to see. Some of you in the front. What happens? They get filled up too, right? See, the reality is when we, when we understand the love that which we've been loved with, we can then love others not out of a performance mindset, but out of an abundant belonging mindset. And, and I think that what we see in there, what we see in there is, a, is an understanding that that is the gospel. And when we can love people in that way, what happens? What happens? We, we experience connection. We, we don't, like when somebody's having a crisis of faith, this type of, this type of love is not, it's not fearful. It's not fearful that says, oh, what if you don't believe what I believe? It's not fearful when somebody's having a crisis or they've gone through a difficult situation and they're asking questions about the goodness of God. It's not fearful. Because we are so poor. We don't have to be afraid for these people. We can be with them and, and give them the same belonging that we have. See, I, I had a friend who he was sharing with me a while ago uh, in, in this church setting. He said, you know, in this setting, I got to the point. He, he had all these questions about faith and God and who God was and how we were experiencing God. And he said, it got to the point where I felt like I was just carrying around contraband. Or it's like I was carrying around these thoughts and these beliefs and these questions that were just not okay in this environment. And it's like I just knew at any moment somebody's going to say, hey, what do you believe about such and such? And then I would be exposed and I would be shut out. Is that a high joy, high belonging environment? No. It's not. Can, can someone connect when they're so afraid of being seen? Can connection happen? No. See, if we are going to be a church that's on mission, driven by connection, then yes, we have to cultivate joy. Have to cultivate joy. And we have to be people who love with the, the same type of love that we've been loved with. Okay, and, and the, third, the third type of soil that we're going to talk about this morning is this idea of group identity. So we have, we have high joy. We're going we're gonna to try and cultivate joy, which I'm talking like this is easy. It's not. It's not easy. We're gonna, but we want to cultivate joy. We want to be people who, who are recognizing that, man, we belong with God. We are loved. And so, therefore, we love others with the same love we've experienced. But also, we have this group identity. That, that we are people who are connected not because of what we're for or we're against. Right? Lots of times that can be the thing. We're connected by whatever it says on our picket sign. Right? And lots of times what happens when that's the case, well, like I, I remember uh, we, had a, we had a group of people a long time ago that we had this uh, Survivor watch party. We always got together and we watched Survivor. Survivor's been on for like ever, since like the dawn of television. I think Survivor has been on. Um, and, and we had a group, we'd get together and we watched Survivor. Guess what happened? And we connected and it was super fun. Guess what happened when like we grew up and stopped watching Survivor together? Guess what happened? Yeah, we came apart. Like, our connection was as deep as our love for Survivor, which wasn't that deep, right? 
See, lots of times when we connect because of what we're against or what we're for, our connection will only last until that event or that crisis is over. You see, what we see in the teachings of Jesus over and over and over is an emphasis on who we are before an emphasis on what we do. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, I think is full of these types of statements. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are you who vile, when, when people vile you in person. You know, there's, there's all these, these statements of blessed are you when. This is who you are. And in Matthew 5.13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You're salt. He says, this is who you are. And then the next verse, he says, you are the light of the world. He said, this is who you are. He starts with who you are long before he goes to what you do. And when we, when we, can, when we can capture this, when we can start to say, ah, oh, this is who we are, then who we are will flow out of, or what we do will flow out of who we are. Peter, and I love because Peter, obviously, he's one of, one of Jesus' disciples, and, and Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you're the rock, right? I mean, the statement of who you are, and Peter sits under Jesus' teaching, and he's hearing all these statements of, of being before doing, and, and Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's, it's like an identity sandwich that, that Peter's putting together there. Do you see that? Like the bread on both sides is, this is who you are. And the meat in the middle is like, yeah, and this is who, what you do. Because this is like, if, if, if you said, I'm a musician then I'm going to assume that you play an instrument. Who you are brings out what you do. But if you never say that, that you're a musician, Mark, I wouldn't say, hey, would you play violin for us? No, I'd go to Amy. Yeah, good. Right? I go to Amy, right? That, that, like, like it, it, I would never assume that somebody who's like, I don't claim to be a musician. I wouldn't assume that they can be up here on worship next week and playing guitar or whatever. Like, that, that would be silly. Right? And yet what we see all throughout scripture is that when we come into a place where we are reminded of who we are, what, what we're about, then out of that comes mission. I love uh, uh, Paul when he's, when he's writing a letter to the church in Corinth. In the very first pages of 1 Corinthians, he, he calls them something. Do you remember what he calls them? He calls them saints. To the saints in Corinth. The Corinthian church was crazy. Like, they're jacked up, right? I mean, the, the, the church in Corinth, like, one guy sleeping with his stepmom, and, like, I mean, people were, like, saying all this trash about Paul and all these different things, and yet he starts his letter by reminding them of who they are before he ever goes to what they were doing. I love it because when we can, when we can create a, a culture of connection around that, that creates character within us. Because character is what comes out of us automatically when we get squeezed. That's what character is. Character comes out like, like what comes out of an orange when you squeeze it. Orange juice, right? Yeah, yeah. We could, we could go on to other fruits, but I think you get the point, right? 
Like the, the character is what comes out of us automatically when we get squeezed. And character, I, I love when we think about this idea of, of group identity, um, character is actually the, the coming together of two things. It's first collection of observed responses to various life situations. And so that means it's like our history, what have we experienced when we see like our dad or our mom respond to situations in a certain way, it creates this idea in us where it's like, okay, this is how I respond to situations, right? And and the second thing, and the values of my people. When we understand this is who we are as a group, it kind of changes where it's like, okay, this is what I've seen in the past, but this is what I see now, and, and this is my people. So, so now it begins to change how I engage with the world around me. I think this is why it is so important that we have connection because when we come together with people who maybe, maybe like younger people with older people and we say, oh, this is like when, when you just do life together and, and we can say, oh, this is what it looks like when, when you get cut off in traffic. Oh, you don't flip people off. Oh, good to know, right? Check that one off, the, right? Or, or when, you know, like younger people and older people, it's like, oh, this is how we deal with finances. And, and this is who we are. This, you know, we, we begin to think through, like, we are people who, right? We can, we can think through things like we are people who, who would rather listen than speak. We're people who see what God is building in others. We are people who spontaneously love our enemies and return blessing and curses. We are people who remind each other who we really are whenever we forget. See, see, oftentimes we need people around us, especially like parents of younger kids. We need people around us who have older kids so that we can see, oh, this is, this is what you do when your kid hits you in the face with a toy? Okay, good. And those of us who have teenagers, we need people around us who are older and say, oh, this is what you do when fill in the blank, right? Oh, good to know. Creates character, creates connection. And yet we can't have that unless we don't have this type of group identity. Now, now when we think about like, okay, but, but don't we need correction? Right? Don't, like sometimes we just, we have wrong beliefs and we have wrong behavior and we have all these different things. And, and the reality is, is yes, because as we think through, like we need to cultivate joy and we need to understand this idea of belonging. If we're going to connect, we have to, we have to have joy and we have to have belonging. We have to have group identity to remember. You see, the, the reality is if that's, if we stop there, I don't think we're going to be on mission or at least not the mission that Jesus calls us to. Because the reality is like, I, I was thinking about this this morning when, when you think about like, like Nazi Germany, right? Think about Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany, I don't know. I don't know if the Nazis were like high joy people. I, I don't know that. I don't know, right? But they were definitely people who belonged, right? They, they, they had a belonging. They, they, I mean, it wasn't, you know, maybe like this. But there was, there was belonging. And they had a group identity for sure, right? They had group identity. And yet they were, they were people, if you just stop there, they did some, some terrible, horrendous things. They were still, I mean, cultures are still dealing with the, the aftermath and the effects of what happened. See, see, we as people, we need to be people who not only have high joy, not only have belonging, not only have group identity, but we have to be people who also have correction. And, and yet the, the reality is there, we have to have correction that is rooted in connection. 
Correction rooted in connection. We have to remember that this is still not just trying to get the right things in our brain. Because if you think about the Pharisees, I mean, they did a lot of right things, and yet they were like the bad guys in the Bible, right? And so, so we, when we think of correction, this is something that goes beyond just making sure people believe the right things, making sure people, oh, you you got the right thing on this, you reading the right books, you doing like this goes beyond that. This is correction rooted in connection. If we, I, I love, I love in in Luke ten. 38 through 42, I I don't have it up on the screen, but I I think Jesus gives us an incredible um, example of what correction rooted in connection actually looks like, right? Uh, If if you, you can turn there, or or I'm just going to read it for you, but verse 38 of chapter 10 in the book of Luke says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell, tell her then to help me. Let's, let's stop there. See, I, I think oftentimes we look at the example of Martha and we can say, you know, oh, Martha was just, you know, Martha's just being a Martha. Right? And, and we, can, we can kind of villainize people who are like more high strung and who are, who are wanting to make sure everything's good. And it's like, oh, don't be such a Martha. Right? But the reality is, is that in this cultural setting, hospitality was huge. Like if, you, if you weren't prepared for people to come in, if you, were, if you were inhospitable, then you brought shame on your family. You brought shame in, in light of everybody in your community. Everybody was like, oh yeah, Martha, did you hear what happened to Martha? She burnt the pot roast. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about her, but, but I've heard people say that she's just a terrible person. You know, like, like it, it, it just, like, it spiraled out of control. And so what Martha's, I mean, it's the same, like, I, I love thinking about Jesus' first ministry, turning, uh, turning water into wine, his first miracle. Like, that, that whole thing was if, when, when people were like, oh, we're out of wine, that was hugely shameful. Like, they had this party, and they didn't plan, they didn't prepare, they didn't honor their guests. It was incredibly shameful. And so this young married couple were going to start their life together wrapped in shame, ostracized by their society. And Jesus comes in and says, I'll restore you. I'll restore you. That's what that whole thing was about, changing water into wine. It wasn't because Jesus liked to drink. It was because he wanted, he wanted people to be, to be brought into community. And, and we see when Martha, when she's, she's running around, she's trying to do all those things. In her mind, she's saying, I'm trying to keep us from, from being wrapped in shame. I'm trying to keep us from experiencing this, this disconnection. And it was a real thing. It was real. And yet it, it talks about Mary. Mary, where was Mary? She was at the feet of Jesus. And I love it because the feet of Jesus, what she's doing is she's taking on the role of a disciple. Disciples sat at the feet of their teachers. And so she is literally being invited into this group to be a disciple of Jesus. And, and when it says that Martha got distracted, I was reading one commentary that suggests that word distracted. It actually infers that Martha was also at the feet of Jesus, but she got distracted by all the serving. It's like when I was growing up and, and we'd go to, to my grandma's house for a Sunday dinner and, and almost inevitably every time we went to eat, we'd be sitting there and all of a sudden my grandma would go, oh, the roll. 
rolls, you know, and she'd run back to the oven or whatever, and it's just like, oh, so, like, whatever, whatever word you want there is so, you know, disorienting. And, you know, and my mom would be like, oh, mom, we're fine. We don't need rolls. But she's like, oh, you know, she's sitting there connected, and all of a sudden she remembers. And I, I love it because what, what, is, what it infers is that Mary and Martha both have a place at the feet of Jesus. And, and yet Martha, she gets distracted, she gets brought away, and she tells Jesus, she's like, don't you even care? I'm trying to do all this stuff. Don't you even care? Tell Mary. Tell Mary to help me. Right? How does Jesus respond? Verse 41 says, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Can we just stop there? Martha, Martha. That, that, that phrasing, that, that response, I think, I think we can read that, and especially if we've dealt with shame and you know, you're there, it's like, oh yeah, I screwed up again. We can read that as like, Martha, Martha, geez, calm down. You know, like this like, stop being such a Martha, Martha. <laughs> did you guys get what I did there? You know, it's like this, this idea of just calm down, right? Like kind of harsh, like Martha, you always do this. Every time I come to visit, you're worried about the roles. Like every time, and you always, you never. We can, we can kind of hear it through that lens. And yet this idea of repeated name is the same thing Jesus did with Saul on the road to Damascus when he, when he knocked him off his horse. He says, Saul, Saul. It's a, it's a way to engage with somebody with connection. See, Jesus in this moment. I mean, Martha, Martha's making some, some really strong inferences. Don't you care? Jesus could be like, don't I care? Don't you know who I am? I am love, Martha. Right? I mean, he could have got super defensive. He could have got super self-promoting. Like, are you kidding me, Martha? What are you, what are you cooking? I can make it right now. Like, he could have, <laughs> right? He could have done anything. But what he does is in the midst of her accusations, he connects. He says, Martha, Martha. I love it. Because it's, he's, he, he's bringing her back in. He's not reminding her of all the times that she's messed up. She's not, he's not reminding her of, her of, of who she tends to be. He's reminding her of who she is. He says, there's many things we can be worried about. But Mary's chosen the right one, and it will not be taken from her. I think what he's saying is that, Martha, your place is still here. He's reminding her of who she is. He's correcting, but he's doing it through connection. Right? See, if, if we get this backwards, if we get this upside down and around, the problem that we run into quickly is we start to see people not as people with problems, because people have problems. Amen? Yeah. Let me just say that again. People have problems. And you may be thinking about someone right now. Maybe it's the person next to you and you're like, amen. Right? People have problems. And yet the reality is if we get this mixed up and turn around, we start to see people as problems. See, people have problems, but people are not problems. Do you, do you, do you hear that? You see, it reminds me of when, when I was in college, I had a friend who, um, he's just this guy, and I'd say this even if he was here, but he was this guy that, like, he's from the South, and, and he's just this big personality, and every time we'd go into a class, he, he said that he was a really good fluffer, 
right? And, and he, he also said he's a BS artist. And I said, what does BS stand for? <laughs> you know, because we're a small Bible college and, you know, shouldn't say things like that. And, and so, but he said he's a, he's a fluffer. And we'd be in class and the, the professor would try and be teaching. And then sooner or later, my friend would kind of, oh, well, what about, the, you know, and he'd start to talk. And, and it just went on and on and on. And it happened so often. It happened in connection groups and small groups, all these different things. It just seemed like he always just had to show, hey, everybody, I'm very smart. And, and it, it got to the point where every time I saw this person or every time I heard him open his mouth, I'm like, shut up. Right? Shut your mouth. No, I didn't pay an exorbitant amount of money to come to college to listen to you talk about your thoughts and theories. Right? Every time I saw this person, every time I was in, engaged with him or in a group with him, I'm like, oh my goodness, this person. I started to see him as the problem. And, and this past week as I was thinking about this message, what does it mean to connect and having these ingredients in the soil... I kept thinking, what would it have looked like if I would have engaged him with curiosity? What would it have looked like if I would have, if I would have, if I would have, like, did like what Jesus did and started with connection? I think maybe it would have looked like, hey man, like, I love you, right? You, you're awesome. I I love you. I genuinely like being around you. And I don't know if you know this or not, but, but Every time we're in a, or lots of times when we're in a group, you, you talk and it's actually, it's distracting and at times you actually harm others around you. And, and I'm saying this because that's not who you are. Because I, as, as believers, as people, we have the mind of Christ. I know, I know you and I know you don't want to harm others and I know you don't want to cause disruptions. I know you. So, so, hey, maybe, maybe let's think about that. You know, I, I, I wondered about that, and I wondered if that would have helped me experience my friend, not as a problem, but as a person who forgot who he was. See, lots of times I believe sin patterns are actually a result of us forgetting who we are. Like, when we're, when we're caught up in sin, it's like, I did this again. I, did this. It's, I think lots of times it's like, well, let's go back to who we are. I think you're forgetting that. I think you're forgetting your, that you are a beloved person of Christ. Is there, is there something in there that you're not believing? See, we need correction. But we need correction rooted in connection because I think when we experience that, we will experience connection. When we experience that, we'll experience somebody who's like, oh my goodness, you love me enough to call me out and remind me who I am. Thank you. See, I, I, think, I think church, when we... When we think about that, when we think about what does it mean to be on mission, and when it means, like, part of that is connecting with one another. I, I think that we, we can look at this and say, man, that's a lot of work. I was thinking about this this past week, and it's like, that's a lot of work. It is a lot of work to try and cultivate joy in my life. Sometimes I'm like, I don't even know what that looks like. I, like, I'll be honest with you, there are times where I'll get home. And, and even before I get in the house, like, I'm, I'm not cultivating joy. I'm not thinking about, like, I get to be with my family and what's my face doing and all these different. I'm looking at, like, well, the yard wasn't mowed again. So I'm all of a sudden, I, even before I get inside, I'm thinking about all the things that I'm frustrated about. And I'm not thinking about the fact that I love my kids and my wife. Like I, like, I literally, I feel like I, I do light up when I remember that, man, I love them. 
Like it's the same, it's the same joy that we can experience when the, the face of Jesus shines on us. Right? But, but that, that takes vulnerability, not, not posturing and posing. It takes work. I mean, when, when we think about this type of connection, it, it does take curiosity rather than just judging. Because, it, guys, it's, it's way easier to judge, right? It's way easier to see somebody's Instagram account or, or Facebook and, and just, oh, man, I can't believe you would do whatever. You know, or, or just pass judgment and see people as problems. It's way easier to do that than be curious about the fact that maybe, maybe they're forgetting who they are. See, that takes, that takes curiosity. And, and I think that when we think about this, and we think about the fact that we have to be patient with where people are at in their progress, patience is much different than irritation. Like, they always, they never. See, church, it takes work to connect in this way. We have to, we have to take a look at our soils and say, yeah, okay, where am I at with joy? Like, there, there are times my dad growing up, he would, he would get this face, like, if I did something that was dumb or whatever, he'd get this face where it's like he smelled something really bad, you know, right? And he, it was like this. Like, he'd just look at me, like, his resting face was just like this. And, and I realized, I do that. And my wife would be like, you're making your dad's face stop it. Like, there are times where, I'm, you know, it's like, I got to remember, like, what am, I, what am I communicating? Am I communicating disgust or am I communicating? It takes work. But, but the question is, what's the alternative? What is the alternative? The alternative, let me tell you, the alternative is isolation. It's laughing at somebody when they say, yeah, I'm really lonely. It's laughing and saying, I am too. Join the club. Right? It's, it's actually, what it actually is, is taking what God says is not good. Say, yeah, I know it's not good, but it's what we got, so I guess. I, I love, C.S. Lewis gives this quote in, in his book, The Four Loves. And C.S. Lewis talks about it this way. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Compass Church, I think we're invited into something different, right? We're invited into an environment where we don't have to posture and pose, where we can be vulnerable. We don't have to meet people with judgment, judgmentalism. We can, we can be curious and we can be patient. And yet it does take work. But I'm telling you, what I believe is the alternative is much, much worse and much, much more destructive. Amen? And let's, let's pray. God, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for the fact that you invite us into something different. God, even, even as I think about these different things, I confess that it's so much easier to walk in judgment. It's so much easier to default to patience or impatience irritation and God I, I confess that there are so many times where I even come before you 
with this attitude of uh, performance. And so God, I pray that you would help us as a church, as a body, as a, as a congregation, as people who are coming together to worship you, to hear from you. I pray, God, that you would allow us to enter into something different than what we've experienced. God, I pray that you would help us to be people of high joy. Help us to be people who've experienced belonging and who offer belonging. God, help us to be people who, who remind each other of who we are, who have a group identity, and God, who we are, are willing to correct because we're connected. Help us, God. Help us to be people on mission, driven by connection. We love you. It's in your name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.